as we continue in worship, we're going to pray to be brief this morning, so we all can pray about that if you want. Uh, you know, we have lots of good things, and we still have one more special time uh, this morning at the end of our worship. Uh, so, you know, I, we will be done a little later than anticipated, just FYI. Uh, but I am aware of that. I'm aware of the time. I started our worship this morning by reminding us that today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. The Feast of Pentecost was going around on in Jerusalem, and it was on that uh, day during that time that the promised Holy Spirit came and changed the course of history, changed the early church at that time. And it's important for us to remember we're not what is known as a liturgical church, meaning we don't follow a prescribed set of calendars like uh, Pentecost the seasons of, of, of the liturgy, if you, uh, you know, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, that's just what kind of makes us us, uh, and, and Baptists to some extent, as uh, those would be known as Protestants, but, uh, you know, in other churches, that's part of their makeup, and there's a beauty in that. It can ground you in the seasons of the church and remind us that we don't exist alone. You know, where you are reminded you are in other, uh, you are collective, we are collectively known as the church. And I think sometimes it is too easy for us in our Western culture and in our individual mindsets to, it's easy for us to forget about that. That not only do we not exist on our own, but we come from a long line of individuals. One of the uh, things I, that has always stuck in my mind off of the clergy gatherings I've been a part of and we host here, uh, the pastor from Kings Creek uh, Church, Chuck Sampson, a great guy, retired truck driver, overgrown truck driver, he once said that uh, they had over 700 people and it's in it's a church. And he went on to clarify, since its existence. But they may only be a church of 15 to 20 now, but they, they rest upon the shoulders of everyone who came prior to them at King's Creek Baptist Church. Though next year we will celebrate our 150th anniversary as a church here, we rest upon the shoulders of King Street Baptist Church and Myrtle Tree uh, Baptist Church and First Baptist Church Urbana, who decided back in 1874 that the city of St. Paris, that village of St. Paris, needed to have a Baptist church in it. Which is interesting because Myrtle Tree isn't but a mile and a half, maybe that way. I think Mount Pleasant was already formed at that time, Pastor Kim, do you remember or no? I think they were. They're just a mile and a half up 235 
Lena, I believe, has also started uh, and helped plant us, and they're just maybe five miles to the west of us. But they felt like the Lord was saying there needed to be a church here. And so we rest upon those shoulders. As I look around, there's some of you who would, uh, you know, you came here to this place under my leadership and pastors. Many others came under Pastor Jim. And others, we could go down and back into the list of Nostein, of others, I'm trying to think of them um, in my head. Pastor Paul, I don't know how I, I didn't really forget about you, but you know, you're right in front of me, you know. Maybe Pastor Paul the first time, maybe Pastor Paul the second time, you know, when he was the interim here. Um, Pastor Babcock was one, uh, and others, you know, where we had a history of, of pastors. I don't believe there's anybody here who was here in the late 1800s, right? No? Okay. You know, when we shared a pastor, I think, with Lena and others. No, but they're not that old yet. Okay? I know. I, I saw that. And what can happen at times is when we forget this, we start to play this game of, you know, I came under here, or the joke within the Federation is, you know, when it, you know they, there's called the Baptist Church. And most of the time, and Joyce is the one who says it primarily. She's not here today, so I can pick on her. Uh, you know, when she says the Baptist Church, she means here. Even though Myrtle Tree is in our federation again. And really, they're the oldest Baptist Church in our federation. And Pastor Tom and I will joke, he will look at me and just go, again, yeah, you're the Baptist Church. Or in the federation, we go, I go to the Methodist Church or the Lutheran Church. Or the Church of God. Or the Catholic Church. And we have to be careful there. Because sometimes, especially in years past, we as churches started to get this understanding that we were the church. And if you didn't believe everything we believed, you weren't in. Instead, you were out. When each church and denomination thought they were the purer form of Christianity than anybody that came before them. And if we're not careful, we can easily get back into that idea. As the world is changing around us, we want to cling to what we know to be true. And sometimes we must be careful that we aren't clinging to something that is good, but not the most important thing. Well, as we get started this morning, I think Paul in 1 Corinthians is going to teach us some things about that. Though I'm going to focus primarily on two uh, verses. But in Paul's day, and I think it's a good question for today, we need to answer, where does God dwell? Where does God dwell? Where do you go to get his presence? I mean, how we answer that will influence um, our decision in other places. Where do you go to meet God? You know, and, and that was a question that they asked in those 
days. In fact, every ancient culture had an answer to the question of where do you go to meet whoever your God was? And so when we read in the Old Testament that God says, I'm going to create a place for me that wasn't foreign to the nation of Israel. They knew in the cultures they came out of there was going to be something like that. Actually, they would have believed there would have been multiple places because there would have been multiple gods. In fact, one of the struggles the nation of Israel had, and I believe it has not changed, I think we have the same struggle even today, is they could go to the temple and worship, but then they would go home and they would have their own little mini temples at home to different gods and idols. The answer to where does God dwell in the Old Testament and even the first century church was in a temple. In fact, I don't think we're too far removed from that. Where do we say, well, i, I got to go to God's house. What do we mean by that? A church. And, I mean, and, in, and, and even then, if we had to say, if you were going to go to God's place in the church, where would you go? The sanctuary. And we get this idea, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, that God, you go somewhere to meet God. You have to make that trip. That was definitely the case. And as we bring up 1 Corinthians, the culture at the time is in the city of Corinth, that ancient Greek city. They would have had multiple temples where you could go to whatever God you felt you needed to go to at the time. They had their own city god, and I don't have that name in front of me this morning. They, they had their own uh, way, and you could, you could find it. It was a very much a pluralistic world. Pluralistic just meaning many kinds of religions would have been there at the same time. Here, once again, sometimes we are realizing that we are not that, our culture is getting, we would like to say progressing, but really kind of getting back to the days of the early church, which is exciting for me, because if we as the church can get back to the roots, then maybe we will see how to impact the world for Christ. And the temple would have been there. When Paul is writing these words, the temple in Jerusalem still would have been standing, is my belief. It hadn't been destroyed yet. And the temple, the purpose of the temple was to some extent of that's where you went to go be right with the Lord. That is where his representation was. Though no good Jew, in fact, probably no good pagan would say a temple really could hold their God and their deity. And the Old Testament made it clear that God cannot be contained to a building, to a place. One of the struggles I think Jesus had with the uh, religious leaders of his day was the temple didn't just become a place where you met God, and the temple became the object of worship, the object of their identity, which scripture would call an idol. An idol is anything, idea, or person, people who get in the way of worshiping Jesus. That's a pretty poor definition, but I think it's a good starting point. Idol can be anything, not necessarily something bad. 
that gets in the way of our identity with Christ and of our worshiping of Jesus. And idols are all around us. Maybe you want to start thinking and maybe you want to make a note somewhere of the different idols that you think exist in our world and maybe even locally. You know, those things that get in the way that um, you, you dare not upset too much because that means you're on the wrong side of things. Most of them, if you were to think, are probably bad in and of themselves. You know, what idols are around? Maybe I'll throw out some, some lists of things or some ideas and, and you can maybe in your own head say, yeah, no. Freedom. Sports. Cars. Homes. Other religions. Um, buildings. Even maybe church buildings. Countries. Families. Our identity as expressed in our own way, individuals, ourselves. Or as I talk with more and more people, I'm realizing maybe the subtle idol of productivity. I don't know how many people I work with, and I struggle with this one myself, that, that will say, if I'm not productive, I'm not valuable. And so there's always a need to be doing something. And scripture would say there's a there's something called a Sabbath uh, for us. And I, and I admit this is the pot calling kettle black. You know, I'm not very good at resting at times. You know, uh, it, it's hard. But sometimes we bring this in that to our kids and others that what they produce is what is important. Now, we, Alicia and I, we talk often, we have goals and aspirations for our kids. We hope they produce something of value. But if I look at Daniel and say, you are only valuable by what you produce, oh my, I will completely mess them up. And I have to remind him, I believe I do. If not, I will get better. You don't have to say it out loud. I won't look at you. That his value is not what he does in our family, but who he is in our family. And that he is his own person. I make sure I also tell Josiah that because he has Daniel who has blazed the trail for him to remind Josiah that just because your brother did it doesn't mean you have to do it. You know, and I came and you had two that went before you, for better or for worse. You know, Jordan, you had one before you, for better or for worse. But how many times we can make an idol what we produce or what we do, and it gets in the way of who Jesus is and who Jesus says we are. And so we go to these places, and I want to say, we must guard against these idols and others. We must ask ourselves, I think, consistently and constantly, what am I making an idol before me? What is getting in the way of who Jesus is and who Jesus says I am? And if 
that idol were to go away, would you lose something of value? Would you lose a piece of your identity with that? You know, I know in our clergy group, we as pastors, we, we really do struggle with this. You may not think we do, but we do. Of what happens when we retire? You know, or as I read this week, heaven forbid a, a pastor would choose or feel feel like they, they are being led to not be in ministry anymore. We normally talk about them doing what? Walking away from being a pastor, which is loaded with many things. And, and we need to take serious, I think, some of those. But when we use those things, and as pastors, we have to, uh, you know, within my own struggle, of got to be very much stand guard against the idol that because I'm a pastor, I'm valuable. You know, which is far from the truth. My value is any more important than Jonathan, who is not a pastor. Do you want to be a pastor today, Jonathan? Tomorrow, maybe? We'll try. We'll try. Oh, he's on call tomorrow. We're going to write this, folks. All right. Do what? Well, yeah, so tomorrow's my day off, you know. He'll be on call for my day off tomorrow, you know. But we see that. And many pastors struggle with that identity piece. And we have to reclaim, just as you have to reclaim. Who are you? And Paul, in this letter, to the first letter that we know of, that we have, you know, we have two of Paul's letters. I believe there were at least three letters that Paul penned to the church in Corinth. You know, because we get this idea they ask him questions, and he tries to respond. He's starting to tackle this idea of idols within the church. And not just physical idols, but we have this idea that there's uh, others who have gone before him. You know, Apollos and Paul, and there's this faction of who's my pastor, and any more these days, get on your phone, and those of you watching online, you could be watching five other people yet this afternoon, and you could find out there are a whole lot better preachers, teachers, pastors, than what we will ever, what we have here. I don't know, maybe in years past, and by the grace of God in years forward, maybe it's even better uh, than, than what it is presently. And we can easily say, well, I follow this pastor. I, I've got, uh, you know, Charles Stanley who passed away, or Tim Keller who passed away, or, or uh, you know, uh, Alistair Begg, or Andy Stanley, or name them on and on and on. Both living and not living. It becomes this sense of, they become my idol. And Paul's saying he's to use the Apollos. The belief was is Paul and Apollos were both there at some point in time and ministered there. That, with, that everyone has to understand that in the, the church, there isn't one person or another. That we are all can be co workers in God's service. For the church is God's field, God's building. Paul and this chapter is encouraging us to value the church as God values the church. Not because 
there's something spectacular with the building. Now, if you were a good Jew and you had been to the temple, you would have known there is something spectacular about that building, the temple. I mean, Logan, it was adorned with gold. How much gold have you ever seen in your life? Not too much, huh? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you could go into a building and like actually touch real gold? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I'm there right with you. All right? And, the, and, the, and if you read about the temple, it was pretty adorned. I mean, God indwelled his spirit on somebody so he could make purple pomegranates. Okay, pomegranates aren't naturally purple. You know? But there was a whole lot to it. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. You would have go in and go, wow. If you were a pagan, you would go in and go, wow. Who is this God that this is his place? You know? And, and, and Paul is talking about being to value the church as God does. Why? Because the Holy Spirit that came on that Pentecost transforms buildings, lives, nations, families, everything. And Paul says here in verse 16 and 17, do you not know that you yourselves or uh, you all or use as Joyce may say around these walls, use you plural are God's temple and that the God's spirit dwells in your midst we are collectively God's temple now I know in just a few short chapters as we call them in the Bible in First Corinthians 6 that he will say very similar things at the individual level. That you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore honor God with your bodies. But I think this morning my hope is to reinforce to us because of the Holy Spirit we together or God's temple. Not just Noah, not just Daniel, not just Jordan, but all of us together are God's temple. Now, in the Eastern world, this was not a surprise necessarily. They wouldn't have thought individually and individualistically about this concept, I don't think. But we don't come from that culture naturally. We think we can do it ourselves. We think our value is on what we produce ourselves. But Paul is calling us collectively and individually to build the church. He says in the verses prior, there's coming a day that, that, we, that what we build the church with will be shown for what it is. And he uses different things. There's nothing magical or, or spiritualized about the, you know, the idea of gold and uh, costly stones like gemstones, you know, or silver, and the difference between that and wood, hay, straw. He's using just what would have been kind of known at the time. But he says, you build upon the foundation of Jesus. 
And then whatever we're building on, it will be shown. And we will have to give accounts. And we will be held accountable for it. And those day and age, if you were the builder of a temple and something happened to the temple because of a faulty material, you were tremendously liable. Not that it would just look right, but it had to function right. And so to have a building collapse was a big thing of shame. To have a building not up to par, and you were in charge of making sure your people who helped build that building were doing it to the correct standards of the day. No wonder sometimes we have some of the best buildings are the really old ones of the day. And Paul is reminding us, be careful of what material you use to build God's church. Which includes all of us. Are we building up one another by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because he said you collectively are God's temple. God's spirit dwells within our midst. For for God's temple is sacred, it is holy. He says again in verse 17, and you together are that temple. What are we individually and collectively using to build God's church? And we have challenges that we as a church locally and globally have in the years ahead. I mean, we got, we got lots of little kids Downstairs. I don't know how many we have. Let's see, there was two and five and six. Probably about a dozen off the top of my head. Seven, I don't know, 12, 15. You know, 20%, no, it's over there, 73. 20% of our church is below the age of uh, 12. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Or is it just me? Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, that's pretty, I think it's pretty cool. But that's a challenge. Because we got to do things that are different. Now you start to add in below 18, so we got uh, at least one, two, well, you may be 18. But, you know, you are, but you still can't be low. Are you, you're 18, aren't you? You don't got to get an attitude. <laughs> Simple. 
the church, all of us together in such a way that honors who Jesus is. Yeah, we have challenges ahead. But God's church is worthy of overcoming those challenges. And you know what? It, it's not so much, I think, here, you know, when he uses the different things, different building materials in 12 and 13 that we've got to focus on. Because let's be honest, we ain't going to be able to do things maybe at the top standards according to the world. Because Paul will then go on to say, you don't have to deceive yourselves. If you think you're wise, you're probably not. But if you're wise in Christ, what matters? We gotta use the wisdom that collectively the Holy Spirit gives us so that we do what we can with what we have to honor the value the Lord has on us. And so I close with this statement. Live out your value. You all collectively, individually, as 1 Corinthians 6 would teach us. But collectively, together, we are God's temple. You have value if you are in Christ. Everyone has value. You have value in Christ. That he gave you and gave us his spirit. Live that out. As one person that I listen to often, it serves as a good reminder to me, says, it's easier to love the things you value. Do we value God's temple? And in a way that makes it easier to love and honor and do what we best in. Or have we allowed something else to step into that battle? Maybe something good. Maybe something honorable. Maybe something beautiful, but it isn't Jesus. He gives the ultimate value. On this Pentecost Sunday, I remind ourselves, myself included, together we are God's temple. I hope you will place value on it. This is one of the reasons that we, we do some of the things technologically that we do. So that you can stay connected, especially in these summer months. You know, I don't say it much anymore, but don't forget to download our app if you are here and those of you watching online. It's the simplest way to stay connected. To, to, to remind yourself of the value that, that getting together with God's people. I, now, those of you online, it's different online than it is in person, okay? It's just the way it is. But we have to remind ourselves of those things. And we have to remind ourselves of our value because God said, I give you my spirit. And you have the spirit of God in you. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, with your life. Because you are valuable this day. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, as we continue on in worship this morning, I ask that you would just help us to continue to honor you.
and always. Lord, that we would uh, not have anything in your place, but instead we would let you and you alone be the top place of our lives. And that we would value ourselves collectively as you value us. And that we would value ourselves as a part of a greater body known as the church. Because of who the Spirit is and his being in us this day. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the foundation of the church. The one who is above all, now and forever. May you stand if you're able as we sing on him. <coughs>